Well, there is a bit more positivity around on the hope that pills and jabs will fight what seems like a less fierce COVID variant. That's the hope. So what does that mean for the new year? In our last edition of the year, we'll look ahead to how 2022 could play out. It's the morning call from NAB for Wednesday, the 22nd of December 2021. Good morning. Well, this uh, Wednesday before Christmas, equities have bounced back, as we saw with the ASX 200 yesterday. This morning, the Dow and the Nasdaq are both at more than 1.5%, actually quite a bit more, more like one, one, one and three quarters for the Nasdaq. Uh, the S&P 500 is not far behind, and we see the same story in Europe as well, with the Eurostoxx 50 up 1.7%. The FTSE 100 is up 1.4%, a very different story to yesterday, and a fair bit of bond action as well. Big sell-off, seeing 10-year treasuries up five basis points, the same in Canada, and much of Europe actually uh, much more also in Europe. In fact, in the UK, 10 basis points up for 10-year gilts and uh, Aussie 10 years also up six basis points this morning. Not much movement on the US dollar, but it is up half a percent on the Japanese yen. The euro is down a little. The Aussie and the pound have both climbed more than 0.3%. Actually, the Aussie dollar is almost... uh, Half a percent up, over 71.4 US cents this morning. And oil bouncing back after the big falls yesterday. WTI is up 3.7%. Brent is up 3.2%. It could all, of course, be very different when we come back from our extended Christmas break to figure out how different things will be uh, for our last episode of the year. Rodrigo Cotrill joins me from NAB in Sydney. Well, uh, you know, it could be different in a few weeks. It's very different today to how it was yesterday. Much more of a risk appetite. I mean, it's as though everyone has decided that the Omicron variant isn't that bad after all. Uh, we'll find out, won't we? I mean, I see the, the, the Doherty Institute is uh, modelling 200,000 cases a day for, for Australia. But obviously the expectation is it's not going to add too much to hospitalisations and, uh, and fatalities. So we'll all just get on with it. <laughs> Morning, Phil. Yeah, quite right. I mean, in terms of the, the, the improvement in sentiment uh, overnight, Obviously, this all to do with the Omicron news, and, and one of the factors that, um, of course, there's been news coming from South Africa, and, and we've seen that those uh, Omicron infections have now uh, slumped uh, to the lowest mm. in two weeks. So that, again, gives us a good leading indicator that, you know, it started in South Africa, or Southern Africa, I should say, and, and now we're seeing a decline in the Omicron infection. So that's very, very encouraging. And news as well around around the globe, for instance, uh, UK Boris Johnson saying that um, at the moment they're not going to impose new, new restrictions, um, although they will remain vigilant for the prospect that they may have to do that. So we now switch away from South Africa to, to London and see whether we see a peak in those infections, because that would be very, very encouraging as well. And, and finally, yeah. one, of, one of the things that Ray in particular has been emphasizing a lot is this um, developments around uh, pills for COVID, uh, and, um, and now we're seeing news overnight that Pfizer and Merck will get are likely to um, to get that pill uh, uh, approval get uh, in in the US uh, as soon as yeah. this so week. So if you get it, you can basically get over the worst symptoms. You're not you're going to uh, reduce the chance of getting hospitalised with Correct. it. Basically, is what it's saying. Even if you haven't been uh, fully jabbed. So I mean, all of that's good news. Even though we see, look, I mean, thank goodness for that because uh, you know the uh, the number of COVID infections. Uh, in in a day yesterday in the US is just short of 300,000. They've got 63,000 people in hospital, 16,000 in intensive care. Omicron is now the dominant strain. But uh, yeah, with all that good news, maybe it'll it'll go away. But 
uh, it doesn't mean the supply chain problems go away, does it? Particularly if we uh, continue to see China pushing ahead with this zero COVID strategy. And we haven't seen Omicron in a big way there yet. I mean, that could be quite devastating for world supply chains when it does. Yeah, so I think that obviously when we think about 2022, this is one of the big issues, right? Inflation has been the big theme and, and that has triggered, you know, central banks to move into action, particularly the, the Fed or at least to, uh, in terms of tapering and, and now guiding, uh, guiding us for, for rate hikes next year, is the issue around supply chains. Why, why is supply chains happening? Uh, well, China plays a big role in that. And, and, um, and as you say, China still has a no COVID policy. So if Omicron, you know, becomes uh, the, the dominant uh, virus in, in, in China and um, there's a likelihood that those supply chain disruptions and bottlenecks will continue, um, at least into the early part of 2022. So um, that inflationary theme, it's unlikely to, to go away in a hurry. Yeah. So we, we need to be patient in that regard um, and, and be ready for, you know, for central banks to act on it as well. Yeah, in fact, could potentially get worse, couldn't it? I mean, you know, if we see more more breaks happening uh, from Omicron so uh, and we see demand coming back as people get over it you know imagine that scenario where in Europe they go oh well that was short-lived just like it was in South Africa let's start shopping again but China's saying well we're not producing so much because uh, we're still getting ill and we're, we're closing down you can imagine that inflation would get much worse yes I mean I suppose the the, the counter argument to that is that um, one of the dynamics of this uh, supply bottlenecks has been um, we as consumers switched away from services demand uh, to, to goods demand because we had to stay at home. Um, so mm. if, if the world is in a better place and, um, you know, the virus becomes a, a little bit more sort of a, a cold or flu sort of dynamic, um, then there's an argument that we will see a reduction in the sort of this excessive demand for goods and, and, a, and, a, and an increase in the services good, uh, the demand. So that dynamic is is hopefully going to be a, a reducing inflationary pressures particularly when when we see that those bottlenecks have come from the goods demand so um, yeah. so that that is a sort of one sort of dynamic in in, in, in intertwined in terms of those the supply chain issues that hopefully with the, the, the improvement in, in the COVID news, we also see an improvement in the demand for services and a reduction in goods. We'll demand. be back to your uh, crushed avocado uh, with the cappuccino in the morning, uh, sitting uh, sitting <laughs> outside of a very pleasant cafe uh, next year. So uh, consumer confidence, I mean, we hope then will come bouncing back. We don't know for sure, but I mean, this is clearly what the markets are expecting. We had, I mean, but we had a very low read from Germany with the uh, the GFK read, didn't we, yesterday? Minus 6.8 versus an expected minus 2. Point seven, uh, and a big reason for that was that this sharp fall in the propensity to buy. So, uh, but you know, from what you're saying, hopefully that will change. Well, maybe we'll be buying services, as you say. Uh, so less concerned about the supply constraints. Yeah. So we definitely need to be watching the consumer. We we spoke in, in the past, and actually this week, later this week, we have the the update on the University of Michigan consumer sentiment in the U.S. Earlier this week, mm. uh, we also had the New Zealand consumer confidence and, and very much along the same lines, we've seen a drastic decline in consumer sentiment in, in New Zealand. Now, why, why is, well, what's going on here? I mean, you know, consumers have are cashed up, they have high levels of savings, um, you know, good levels of employment, um, and yet they're not feeling that very good. So uh, one of the arguments is, of course, is that um, inflation has been eating away that disposable income. So that's one major concern. Um, mortgage rates in parts of the world, like in New Zealand, for instance, they're rising and they have risen significantly. So that's one factor. 
Uh, and of course, COVID itself, you know, Omicron is, is making us all worried. So, um, so the big question there is whether this, as, as the COVID story hopefully eases in 2022, whether the consumer will start feeling better or uh, alternatively, yeah. is this actually a, a bit more serious? And, and, and what history tells us is that if the consumer remains downbeat for an extended period of time, it eventually does start having an impact in, in consumption and, and that could become a major concern. Yeah. Or will we just have a, sh- a, sh- a shift in the pattern of consumption, uh, you know, as we're seeing a shift in the pattern of working? I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the great resignation plays out next year, because I've still not heard a coherent argument from anybody really about why that's happening. Yes. So I suppose the, the, you, we, we're touching on sort of these, these themes that we're all thinking about 2022. So we've seen these structural mm-hmm. changes that have come along with the, 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 the pandemic and one of them has been these high levels of savings. Uh, the other one has been the the, the, um, the high level of uh, people that have not yet come back to the labor market. Uh, so uh, in particular, the U.S. Is, is, is more pronounced than, for instance, in Australia. Um, you know, the, the, the improvements that we saw prior to the lockdowns in, in Melbourne and, and, um, and Victoria, sorry, in, in New South Wales as well, uh, it was that the labor market was improving significantly in Australia. So there was no concern that we will have people not coming back to the labor market. So, but in the US, there's, there's a huge amount of, of people that probably are retiring at earlier. Now, yep. now, if that is the case, then we need to remember that typically then you, you, have, you need to have levels of savings in order to afford retirement. So this big structural change of high levels of savings then may not reverse them, you know? And if mm. that's the case, then, you know, we will see a huge level of demand for treasuries, um, which we've seen at the moment because, you know, banks, for instance, have high levels of deposits. We've also seen a big demand for retail buying of, of treasury bonds, for instance. Um, so that dynamic in terms of COVID may not reverse. And if that's the case, then bond yields will be well supported um, uh, over the course of this year and next year. So there's, there's an important dynamic in terms of how it affects markets and, and how it affects even the, the, the productivity and potential output growth for, for the US, for instance. So um, those, those are important dynamics that will have an impact in terms of what the market is thinking and also what central banks may do as well. Well, yeah, on central banks and bonds, I mean, you know, uh, that the Fed is sitting on what, 8.8 trillion almost uh, as its balance sheet. I mean, Tapas remarked earlier in the week that, you know, when they attempted to wind it down in 2018 and 2019, when obviously the, the, the balance sheet was much, much less, that had a fairly profound negative impact on, on the economy. So, I mean, do banks just sit on those bond purchases? Could this be the you know, a bit of a ticking time bomb of 2022? And if they do try and uh, bring them down, are we going to see what we happened in 2018 and 2019 happen happen all over again? Yeah, that's right. And then um, I suppose different banks have different sort of have expressed different sort of uh, appetites, if you like, for for this. But what we know is that as you take the, the, this money away, if you like, um, then there's a tightening of financial conditions and, and the market needs to be buoyant enough in order to cope with it. Um, then the question is, 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 is the market going to be able to do that? And this time the numbers are much bigger. So it, it will be important and it will have an impact in terms of the ability for the Fed, for instance, to tighten um, and, and, and also for, for the market to cope with it, given, you know, this high levels of um, um, valuations, if you like, that we've seen. In the and before the pandemic, you know, we were talking about US and China, the trade war. Now we're concerned about the slowdown in China. We've we already talked about 
the impact perhaps on supply chains. But uh, could China turn it around if, if we find that, you know, a few months later we're, we're over the worst of the pandemic uh, and it starts to die away? Is China going to come back quickly? Because obviously we've found out, haven't we, you know, if there is a slowdown in China, the authorities are very quick to, to step in, even to the point of, uh, you know, which we haven't really talked about this week, lowering the interest rates. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we, we have learned uh, over the past 15 years in particular is that China is very good at managing its economy. And when China says they're going to do something and when China tells you that they think growth is going to be X or Y, they tend to deliver on that. Now, um, what we've seen now that Beijing has become more aware or um, acknowledge the, the slowdown in the economy, um, and we also know that they have these old structural changes that they want to achieve. So um, our sense is that the slowdown in terms of economic activity readings that we having, we're going to get over the near term are still going to show you know, that the economic activity is under pressure. Um, but the introduction of these measures does mean that the economy has a, a good prospect of, of, of starting to make a U-turn and, and, and start growing at, at decent levels, probably close to that 5% um, into the second half of, of next year. Now, importantly, one of the reasons why we also think that this is very important is because we got to remember that next year is a big deal for President Xi. Um, he's aiming to, to get that third term um, in October. Um, so it's important that the economy and, and everybody's feeling good in China when that happens. So uh, again, that plays to the view that there, there will be a, a huge interest, if you like, from authorities in, in China to make sure the economy is doing well. Now, finally, in terms of what that means for the, the central bank policy, um, and importantly, we've got to remember as well that when you think about how the central bank stimulates the economy, it's not so much about the cash rate, the level, but it's rather about the quantity of credits. So we need to see an improvement in that credit impulse um, in, in China. And I think at the moment, the best we can say is that there's evidence that maybe we've seen a, a bottoming of, of the decline. And hopefully we start seeing an improvement over the coming months uh, in order to be encouraged by the outlook or, uh, on, on China's economy. So it's always very dangerous to say what's going to happen while we're away. But you think the US dollar is going to stay strong for the next few weeks, at least, even if it might start to fall away a bit later on in the year. And, uh, and, and Europe and the UK, which are certainly having winter woes, you know, they, they, those currencies perhaps not doing so well over the, over, the, over the winter period, but perhaps coming back the second half of next year. And I guess, you know, as we see that drop in the, 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 the US dollar uh, later on next year, we'll see the, the Aussies start to pick up and grow a bit more as well. Is that the, the, the NAB view of the world next week, next year? <laughs> well, over the very near term, one thing to emphasize is that we, we have been saying that uh, we, we thought the Aussie dollar will end the year at 72 cents. It's 71 and a half at the moment. Um, so we're very close. Uh, hopefully it does, it does continue to rise in the next couple of days. But importantly, there's two dynamics, right, from the, from the US dollar is that, that uh, sort of risk sensitivity. So when, when travel hits the road, the US dollar gets bit uh, on that risk aversion. Now, the Omicron news this week is starting to show sort of more positive news. And that, that could, could be the one that improves sentiment into year end and, and keeps equity markets buoyant and, and lifts the Aussie dollar towards that 72 cents, which will be great. Uh, but over the course of the next month, then when we think about the sum of its parts, it's difficult to get to, you know, uh, encouraged by the outlook of, of Europe, for instance. The, that energy crunch is still very serious. We've seen gas prices again rise around 20% um, this week. So there's any, the energy crunch is not only inflationary, but also has an impact, an impact in, 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 you know, the potential growth that we may see from, uh, from Europe. China, as we said, is still slowing. 
And we know they're introducing new measures, but those measures take time to take effect. So when we think about growth dynamics, the U.S. is still very well placed to be outperforming at the beginning of 2022. And under that scenario, it's difficult to see the U.S. dollar coming to too much harm. Um, so it's still a story for, for the dollar to remain well supported into the beginning of 2022. But hopefully if we're right, uh, and China in particular and Europe eventually resolves these issues uh, around the energy, uh, we will see a little bit of shift in that dynamic, uh, and that will take away some of that that sort of growth uh, or rather strength in the U.S. dollar. Right. There's obviously not a lot happening over the next few weeks because it is Christmas all said and done, although there is the U.S. PCE deflator uh, for the U.S., funny enough, uh, <laughs> tomorrow. And uh, the Eurozone CPI as well, talking about inflation on, on January the 7th. But what else will you be looking at out the corner of your eye when you're supposed to be on holiday? What are you going to be keeping an eye on? <laughs> Uh, definitely any dynamic, any news around COVID, of course, uh, or Omicron. Um, uh, but certainly uh, that those inflationary pressures, um, uh, any any readings around inflationary pressures and activity will be important because that is what is keeping central banks very, very worried, and particularly in the US and, and potentially in Europe as well, given all these this sort of uh, pressures that we're seeing from particularly from the energy side. So uh, I think that those will be the readings and, and China as well. Um, any news around China in terms of new measures to stimulate the economy will be important for sentiment and for the outlook of 2022. Right. Well, appreciate all your hard work and the rest of the team as well. This we got almost one and a half million people listening in or separate plays to the to the podcast this year, which was a, a record year from the morning call. Every year is better than the year before. So, and we'll be back next week, the next year with some more. Uh, have, have a great Christmas, Rodrigo. Catch you soon. Thanks, Phil. You too. Cheers. And thank you for listening. Uh, have yourself a terrific Christmas holidays. We're back again in 2022. I'm Phil Dobby for now. See you then.